everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Today's the Day Changemakers podcast. I am Jody Grimwald. This week, my guest is Dr. Christine Thorpe. Dr. Thorpe is the dean of the Nathan Weiss Graduate College at Keene University. She is also the managing partner of Stronger Tomorrow LLC, a workplace wellness company that serves to influence and reshape wellness in organizations through the lens of diversity, equity, and inclusion. Follow Stronger Tomorrow LLC on Instagram at Stronger Tomorrow Wellness. Christine is also the co-director of Navigating Health Services, NHS, an organization that represents a movement to transform the health sector and to positively impact the lives of the medically underserved in Jamaica and across the Caribbean region through education, advocacy, and support. Also, Christine is the author of Living Beyond the Facade, Inside the Health and Wealth Practices of Americans of African Descent. Follow on Instagram at Living Beyond the Facade. Christine wears so many hats, but balances them in such an incredible way. We talk about so many important and extremely relevant topics during this episode. Like as long as we have breath and strength in our body, we have so much to offer. The trauma we have experienced over the last few years and the burnout has been oh so real. We also discuss that although companies have committed to EDI work, as they are talking more about the work and have put money behind it, many may not necessarily know how to create an actual cultural shift. With the help and support of her organization, Stronger Tomorrow LLC, she is helping organizations do just that. At the end of the podcast, Christine talks about the importance of being a good ancestor. Listen in to hear more about Christine's journey and the incredible work that she is doing. Please take a moment to subscribe to the Today's the Day Changemakers YouTube channel and share a comment. Your comments matter and help our episodes to be heard. Listening to others brings support, ideas, and ongoing connection. You can also download this podcast on Apple and Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Pandora, and many other streaming sites. Please take a moment to write a review that will help my guests be heard. The algorithm is such that comments, likes, and shares are vitally important and so very much appreciated. I will be thanking those who take the time to review the podcast on upcoming episodes. The best gift you can give someone is your time, and I so appreciate yours. As a certified professional coach and consultant, I focus on how connection is at the core of all that we are and all that we do, from how we connect to ourselves, our goals, to our careers and family. I would love the opportunity to connect with you and help you on your journey. Reach out to me directly at Jody J-O-D-I, at todayistheday.liveit.com. And don't forget to follow Today Is The Day Live It on Instagram and Facebook. Coming soon, a new Changemakers Membership Connective. Go to todayistheday.liveit.com to learn more. Thank you for supporting the Today Is The Day Changemakers podcast. The views expressed by all Today Is The Day Changemakers podcast guests are their own. Their appearance on the Today's the Day Changemakers podcast does not imply any endorsement of them or any entity that they represent. Have a great week, everyone. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Today's the Day Changemakers podcast. I am Jody Grinwald, and every single week I say the same thing since the beginning. I get to interview the most incredible humans who are doing incredible things in their corner of the world and beyond the changemakers, those who are disrupting the status quo in the best ways possible. And today I have Christine Thorpe with me. Hi, Christine. How are you? I'm fine, Jody. How are you? I am good. I'm so glad you're here. I there's just so there's so much to talk about. When I was planning for our um, our podcast episode, I was like, oh my gosh, you, you we're both doing many things, and it was it's always so nice to have to talk to somebody who wears many hats. It, you know what? People have asked me, how do you do it? And I say, I do what I enjoy doing. Trust me, I sleep every night. Trust me, I don't miss a beat with my children and my husband, but life is meant to be enjoyed, to do the things that you are called to do, um, to take advantage of the opportunities that are put before you. I, I say jump in with two feet and run with it. I love um, having the life that I have where I see things that I say, you know, I'd be interested in trying that and being bold and taking that step. I think that more of us need to get into that space we're often hesitant in questioning ourselves as to whether we should or could. Um, and, you know, as we've kind of touched on a bit, a bit of judgment, um, most times worried about what other people judge and ultimately we're judging ourselves, but freeing ourselves from that, that, that shackle and taking those brave steps forward and, 
and traveling into, in your mind and in your life areas that, you know, you felt that you couldn't do. And it's a brand new life experience that helps you to grow. And um, as long as we have breath in our body and strength in our body, I figure we should just do um, and build those memories and those experiences. And in everything we do, we touch lives. I love that. I love that. You see, every you see, see, this is why I love these conversations. We didn't even start yet. And she's so incredible. So, <laughs> so Christine, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna have you hold that thought because there's somewhere I want to go with that. But okay. beforehand, I want to introduce you by your bio. And it's the only time I, I like to read is because I want everybody to know just how dynamic you truly are. Um, and, and it takes so much. I always say this it takes so much to get these words to paper. So I read it so that I never I don't miss a beat because you it took a lot of work for you to get here. So let me read this real fast and we're going to get into a great conversation. Doctor, and I love this, Dr. Christine Thorpe is the Dean of the Nathan Weiss Graduate College at Keene University. She is a certified wellness coach and health education specialist with over 22 years of experience in higher education and the health and human services field. Her interests and research publications focus on women's health, health disparities, historical trauma, holistic nutrition, patient navigation, motivational interviewing, and health literacy. Dr. Thorpe is the managing partner of Stronger Tomorrow, LLC, a workplace wellness company that serves to influence and reshape wellness in organizations through the lens of diversity, equity, and inclusion. The company focuses on leadership and organizational development to strengthen infrastructure while supporting executive management and individual employees in the process. She is also the co-director of Navigating Health Services, an organization that represents a movement to transform the health sector and to positively impact the lives of medically underserved in Jamaica and across the Caribbean region through education, advocacy, and support. But we're not done yet. Christine is the author of Living Beyond the Facade, Inside the Health and Wealth Practices of Americans of African Descent, and is sought after to speak on the topics of health and wellness in diverse families. Wow, Christine, there was some more, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna, we're going to talk about all those other things. But I have to tell you, I mean, it goes on to talk about where you went to school, Columbia University, Rutgers Minority Serving Institution Aspiring Leader, board member for the YWCA of Northern New Jersey, which I must mention, because I did, I did interview this, their CEO, Helen Archantu. So Christine, how does it feel to hear all of that? I'm looking behind me and looking behind you and saying, is there somebody there? Um, it's, 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 it's funny. I, I, you do things and you never really hear your story or hear your bio. Um, you're asked to write it and you write it out and you're thinking, okay, is this really me? And sometimes it's, it's, a, it's, it's funny to look at yourself and all that you've been doing. And somebody said to me a couple of days ago, I saw what you were doing on LinkedIn. You're doing so much. And I see what you're doing in the Caribbean. And I thought, oh, you see it? You put it out there, but you don't really realize where it lands until somebody says it back to you. Um, you just know that you're doing the work that you've been called to do. You know that you're touching lives. But when you hear it back, then it resonates that it is making an impact. It is touching people's lives. You're drawing attention to some important issues that you know are burning in me that are, are calling on other people to take a look and say, you know, how can I help? How can I support? Um, but, but it's funny to hear the bio being read, uh, but I'm grateful. Thank you so much. It's humbling. It really is. It is humbling. Uh, you think of your life journey and you never think you're going to have a bio that sounds like that, but I'm, I'm pleased and I'm grateful for it. Thank you. I love that. Yeah. You know what? That's the important thing too, is, is that we don't do enough of, we're not, so many of us, we shy away from being having pride in, uh, you know, or, or tooting our horn. Others may be somewhat more boastful because they do that as a, a way to be protective of themselves mm -hmm. and they use their, their titles and, and all of that for another reason. But then there's those of us who may never even pay attention until it's read. And then you're like, Oh, I did all that. Wow. <laughs> like, <laughs> but it's true. I get the same thing. It's like, people are looking at LinkedIn and they're like, wow, you're doing, you're doing all this stuff. And you're like, I'm just putting it out there to kind of just share the wealth. If somebody could connect with it and you don't really know if they are, but then all of a sudden it's such a blessing to find out when they do. Right. Exactly. It really is. Um, that's a nice way to resonate, but, um, you plant seeds and there's so much on social media, 
that you never know where your seed is going to land and if it's going to take root somewhere, but you just know we are part of this social media experience because we know the value of planting a seed and knowing that it's going to touch someone somewhere. And we continue to do it. Um, not only because we see that it's touching someone else outside of the circle that we're in, but we're also letting our circle know that we value the work that we do. We, we want to share it because it's important that um, it's heard and it's seen. So, you know, between my, my company, between the work I do in the Caribbean, my work here at the university, my book, um, these are things that thread through uh, who I am and, and why I would like to continue to, you know, to push this envelope of people taking care of themselves individually and collectively. We've come out of and moving through still a two-year pandemic <clears throat> of which everybody's talking about. And if, if I can slide into this, this, this topic, it's, it's right you know, why we formed um, our Stronger Tomorrow Wellness Company, my partner, Dina Quinones and I. And we form, formed it because in the midst of all this, the burnout was so real. The trauma from uh, lives lost during the pandemic, the trauma from George Floyd's life being taken on camera and lasted around the world for people to see over and over again. People were just incredibly traumatized. The burnout organizationally as well as individually was real. People working from home, trying to manage this thing called a Zoom life where you're on the camera all the time and living in your home. And, and people talk about, you know, family members passing by in the background, children, in the, you know, trying to teach children across the room. And no one knew what to do with that. And we all lived through it you know, and some still living through it on some level, trying to adjust to life where we are now. So Dina and I, you know, really talked about how are we going to play a role in this? And she and I both come from this whole public health, health education background and understanding how to work with organizations. And we launched a company to be able to build, you know, wellness strategic plans to help companies really understand wellness has an intersection with diversity, equity, inclusion. And it's something that's really unique because people always see DEI and they see, okay, health benefits, employee wellness, it's great. But now we're looking at um, interesting diverse workforce, a workforce that is seeking equity and inclusion, belonging in so many different ways that HR um, offices are just not fully equipped to do. So we go in and we do assessments with these companies and give them um, a report on, you know, this is what could be done. And we'd like to work with you in coming up a proper strategic plan. And we do that with our companies and enable them to bring in their stakeholders. Buy-in from the top is always important because guess what? Executive leaders are burnt out too. And if your leadership is not well, what happens with the body? Think about if you're not feeling well, you've got a headache, the rest of your body feels awful. So it's the same concept with an organization. You know, we need to get the leadership buy-in and care for the leadership as well as all the executive management and staff that come along and take part in this experience because in the end, on the other side of it is an opportunity to transform what we know our workplaces to be today. And I think that that's an interesting sweet spot that people are grappling with. Um, during the pandemic, during uh, the murder, of, uh, post the murder of George Floyd and companies are saying, we're going to commit to DEI, we're going to commit to change. And there's been a lot of talk and mm -hmm. a little bit of money thrown at it, but mm -hmm. we're not actually seeing it manifest in concrete ways. We're not necessarily seeing the board transformations that reflect the diversity in ways where people can feel the impact and also see that the culture is shifting. And that's a big piece here. It's one thing to talk about it, but how do you create a cultural shift? And that's a different type of assessment of which you know we look to do as well as part of our work in Stronger Tomorrow is to assess the, the culture and, and really work towards building upon what was there and making shifts as necessary. I think that um, you know, when you think of, of, of the culture in the workplace, you need to have a firm understanding of that in order to address all those dimensions of wellness so that you can get the outcome you truly desire. 
You know, I have so many questions right now, like everything you were talking. I, I literally have to like write them down because if I don't, that's, that's my age. Like I, they'll be gone. Um, so, uh, you know, one of the things I want to mention, too, is is I have to say that I totally agree with you. We're having a tremendous amount. We were having a tremendous amount of conversation. There was absolutely money being thrown. But I want to ask you if you had a magic wand. Right. Talking about action. Action. Mm-hmm. Right. Because I think there's a lot of talking. I agree with this. And I also think there's money that's in there trying to educate. I agree. And I love, and I love that. But what does action look like? If you had your magic wand, what would that look like in companies that would change the footprint right now of what you're seeing so that we're not just talking? That leadership doesn't just talk about it. They say, okay, we're going to bring our teams together and we're going to actually implement the change. So we're going to do a proper assessment. We're going to actually, you know, develop a plan and we're going to execute it. We're going to measure it. We're going to follow through. I think when your leadership um, comes from behind the desk and starts to stand beside the people and starts to really feel and take a true self-reflective look at what's happening in their company. And it's a hard seat to sit in. Mm -hmm. It's humbling. It's challenging to see that truth. Um, And, you know, this is why it's important, like for our company, it's not to shame you or to put this on blast in public, but it's to say, listen, you know, I had a conversation, for example, with um, an HR, uh, a DEI executive um, about a month ago. And she said that she has the ear of her her CEO. And not only does she have the ear of her CEO that whatever she says, her CEO comes behind her and says, yes, I concur and you will do it because this is how we're going to change. And she is glad for that because she's coming up against a handful of employees that don't respect or value her as a woman and as a woman of color instituting change as a chief diversity officer. So it's one thing to say, yeah, we want change and throw some money at it and leave the CDO by themselves to do all the work. It's another thing when you provide your CDO not only with the resources, but you sit with them at the table and you also call out behaviors and attitudes that have no place in the workforce and get in the way of the bottom line. So if the bottom line is you know, serving your clients, your customers, but that's get, gotten in the way with because you have employees who are antagonizing other employees. You're not only addressing, impacting the diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging um, um, components of the workplace, but that individual's well-being is impacted. Their emotional wellness is impacted because they feel unsafe at work because their colleagues don't want them there. You know, how does that feel to be in that space? They're uncomfortable because socially they're feeling alienated. Physically, we get ill because if our if mentally we're feeling drained and 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 stressed out and burnt out and, and uncomfortable and coming to work is a drag because you know when you go in, you're feeling alone, physically you begin to break down and you feel sick. And and it impacts your wellness as an individual and as well as a as a community. Um, so yeah. my magic wand is is we have to take our rose-colored glasses off. Um, we need to have hard conversations with respect. And we need to understand the ground rules of the workplace that we all abide with and honor that this is who we are and what we stand by. And we will not stand for anything outside of that because this is not what we represent. I always like to call it that's like meet the Fockers, the circle of trust. We are mm-hmm. in this particular circle of trust. And this is who we are and this is our identity. Should you fall outside of that circle of trust, you will know who you are because the circle of trust is strong and you will become the outsider for promoting anything that is detrimental to our DEI initiatives and wellness initiatives that we want to improve to further shape our company culture. 
No, so well, so, so, so well put. And I, I, when I hear you say that that person is in that space and being supported by the top, but then there's others who are, are not, you know, in line with, it's just unbelievable to me that there are others that are not in line at, at the stage of where we are, you know, in our lives and, and mm-hmm. in what's going on in the real world here, right? So that that that's disheartening to hear. And I hope that gets fixed very, very quickly, but I'm sure it's not the only story. I'm I'm positive of that. But she, her story is better because at least her CEO is standing with her. He's not just a quiet ally. He's truly an upstander. And that's the other side of it is we'll say quietly behind the scenes, yeah, I'm an ally. I'm with you. But who's an upstander who's going to say, no, that behavior is not right. And especially if it comes from the top, the person who signed your check at the end of the day, you now understand who you work for and where you work. So that small group becomes the outlier that doesn't fit in with the others who are saying, you know, this is a new tune. We need to learn something new if we want to buy into this. And it's a learning opportunity that um, people step into because now the door is open. And if you want to be part of this culture, you get indoctrinated into it. And that builds a healthier work environment. No, I, 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 to- I totally agree. And, and then I want to, I'm going to go into that to- healthier work environment. I, I've been talking to some, um, you know, higher level CEOs and we, we've talked a lot about the, the healthier work environment where, you know, they'll do like the five minutes before the meeting, they'll connect, they'll, they'll do some sort of connection or the five minutes at the end of the meeting, they'll do some sort of connection. But I, I, as you are a coach, I'm a coach as well. And I kind of feel like when we do the five minute, it's almost as if, and this is just my opinion and I'm get, I want to get yours. Um, and, and for those who listen, because I know what we have all levels within organizations listening. When we do the five minute in the beginning or we do the five minute at the end, to me, it feels very passerby, right? It's just, it's a check-in without a, it just feels like it has, it's kind of like we're doing it, but but what's the, you talk about the follow-up, what's the support mm-hmm. around that? If you're just doing that five minute check-in and somebody's having a bad day and you just move on to the next person to hear about somebody else's bad day, how are we really supporting the wellness of our staff? And how do you, how do we keep that wellness moving? Because it's great to check in, but if you're just moving past that person when they kind of share about their bad day to go on to the next person and they only have five minutes and you've got a big team. I feel like that's just something that's like you're passing it by and doing it because you feel like you have to. Am I, am I off the mark on that? You're not off the mark, but if something happens in the meeting and somebody's like, look, I'm not doing so well today. My angle would be, okay, we need to talk. Hang around at the end of this meeting. I have been known to do that at the end of my meetings and say, Hey, so-and-so can you just hang on? All right, folks you know, have a great day. It's a sunny day. I'm giving you back 10 minutes. Go get some fresh air, stretch your legs, take a human break. Um, make yourself a cup of tea, you know, do something else. Just, just take a few minutes before you move on to the next thing. It's like, I'm constantly reinforcing that statement because I need to practice it for my team to buy into it. But if I see someone on my team, who's just not there, I will ask them to hang around for a few more minutes and just give them a space to talk and do more listening because I'll say, okay, this is your time. Talk to me. How can we support you? Let's let me hear what's going on. And I've created an environment here, particularly in, in this current space where people will talk because they've learned that it's safe. And they've also learned that it's sincere. It's kind and it's truly caring. And while there might not be a hundred percent solution in that immediate moment, they will get the true empathy and, and understanding in that moment and grace mm. to be able to breathe and not be ashamed of not being their best in that moment and be okay to take a moment to step back and it not be used against them. And I think too often people are afraid to get to that level of vulnerability, although we are human, but afraid to get to that level of vulnerability because they're afraid they're going to be shamed. They're afraid they're going to be punished. And um, too many times, too many of us can speak of environments where we've seen that or directly experienced when you are not at your best for whatever reason and not well, that it was a problem that got in the way of the bottom line versus 
you've been great all along. I know you do good work and I'm seeing that this is a, this is a time for you where you need a moment and it's okay. And giving that space and validation. I think we need to move in a, in a spirit of grace with each other, because guess what? These last couple of years showed that everybody needed it. And anyone who said that they didn't need it, you're probably a robot and didn't have any feelings, but everybody needed some modicum of grace to go through each day. Yeah. So and, and that's how I, I say build it in where you show that grace and consideration and kindness. You know, it's, it's kind of that, that, that feeling of permission, right? Because you're giving them that, 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 that validation, but it's also that permission to take that first step that it's okay. I'm not weak just because I'm having a bad moment. Right. I'm not a bad employee because I'm having a bad moment. You're not going to take away the potential promotion because I'm having a bad moment. Mm-hmm. I'm allowed to have a, a moment. And, and you know, moments come and go. We always think that in that moment, this whatever yeah. that feeling is, yeah. it's going to be forever. But it's, it's they, go, they come and they go. So I, I, I love that you say that. Ham 10 is a leader in IT enterprise solutions and staffing. They are driven to transform their clients' business performances. They do this every day by providing their clients with the best services and products. Products like BizLego, an online community platform, and Colear, a unique learning management system. They also transform the lives of women and children through their associated nonprofits, SheTech, which supports women in and joining the technology field, and Softkin, support organization for kids in need. Pam 10 technology for social good. Go to pam10.com for more information. One, one more thing on this I want to sh- uh, talk about too, and to is, is board membership. You know, when we talk about and going back to board, you know, the DEI conversation here is that um, I wrote this down while we were talking and we, we mentioned board members. Um, we talk a lot about bringing diversity. I have a nonprofit, you know, bringing diversity to our board. And a lot of us have looked into our, you know, our, our, lists of people that we've been connected to and realized that we've siloed ourselves, right? Because all of a sudden, especially in the nonprofit sector, so I'm going to bring that in because that's what I'm the CEO of, is we're like, um, wait a minute, they're not going to fund us if we don't have this diversity in our board, right? So, but that should not be the reason you bring diversity to your board. You should be bringing diversity to your board because you should have diversity to your board. Exactly. Exactly. Um, (laughs) <laughs> the motivations behind the diversity often show their its ugly head once people get on boards and they realize they were a checkbox, not necessarily um, an included voice that helps to influence the organization. And that, that's a hurtful feeling to have when you go in excited to make an impact and to join forces with a group that's doing great work to only find out that you're only there as a token. And nobody wants to be the token. Um, if I can give a shout out to Please. the YWCA of Northern New Jersey, um, we have an incredibly diverse board. I am a board member with Helen Arcantu as the CEO. Um, and I'm very proud to be a board member of the YWCA Northern New Jersey. It is a collection of women of all walks of life. And we come together with the understanding that we are together influencing our communities through the work of the YW. So um, let's give a shout out to the YW, but that, that's one of those boards um, of diverse women that I, I'm very, very honored to be part of and always have an opportunity to talk about the work that we do. Um, and it's important that organizations, nonprofit as well as for-profit corporate companies, when you look at their boards and you see a uniform list of people to think about who are your end users and why would you not want to reflect that on your board? And are you that afraid to see something different or hear something different that you would shut everyone out to only be in the same space of people who are your, who you are familiar with? So let's, let's think about this. You know, it's a poor reflection on you as a group and as an individual, if this is what you buy into, but at the same time, you are looking to make profit off of others. So something yeah. to think about. Yeah, absolutely. And it was, it's an important topic because I, I do find that, you know, uh, nonprofits and the for-profits are forcing, 
nonprofits because it, it's kind of like, yes, you should absolutely, everybody should have a diverse board. That to mm -hmm. me is just, it's a, it's a, but when you, when a, when a for-profit says, if you don't have one, we're not going to fund you, then you are, you, it's this catch 22 of like, oh, well, they're saying I have to go run and do that. And you shouldn't be running to do that. You should have right. already done that. Right. And so it's this, you know, chicken and egg situation. And we we're not with, it goes back to that conversation that I don't think we're, we're necessarily having even within our own boards of like, we should have been having months ago until, you know, not when the switch flipped. It's the culture. What is the culture that you have fostered in the organization? And, you know, when you look at your mission, when you look at your values, uh, does, does that reflect this now new culture you need to shift to and why are you shifting? Is it only for money or do you deep down see that you're connected to the importance of this because we're in a different time in our world. Um, things are changing and we need to step outside of our silos if we truly want to be impactful. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. I really appreciate that. So I, I really want to talk about this because I'm excited to hear why you started all, why you started um, and, and are the co-director of Navigating Health Services, actually, an organization that represents a movement to transform. I have to read this because this is long to transform the health sector and to positively impact the lives of the medically underserved in Jamaica and across the Caribbean region. Mm -hmm. What made what what is your connection? What why are you doing this? We I mean, obviously, you're the most kind person, so I know why you're a change maker. But what is what why is this important to you? So this is, this is an interesting journey. Um, and the lead founder of this is Patrice Dwyer, um, and she's based in Jamaica. And our other director is uh, Latoya Blackwood. So this is an interesting journey. I started working in the space of patient navigation maybe about 14 years ago with the pioneer of patient navigation, Dr. Harold Freeman, who, who started patient navigation in Harlem Hospital in Harlem, New York. Mm -hmm. And he started patient navigation as a result of being one, he's an oncology surgeon and was constantly seeing women from the local community come to Harlem hospital with a third and fourth stage breast cancer. and couldn't understand why were they waiting so long to go to Harlem hospital? Why wouldn't they come in for treatment? So he went out into the community, started asking questions because, you know, he's there. He wanted to make a change, couldn't understand why this was happening. And more women were dying under his watch because, you know, as an oncology surgeon, he could only do but so much with third and fourth stage breast cancer at that time. So he went out into the community, started asking questions. Um, the community of Harlem is a predominantly black community. And in talking with the community, they said, we didn't think that hospital was for us. And there's a history um, behind Harlem Hospital that goes back to the turn of the 20th century during the Jim Crow era, when um, African-Americans were moving from the South up North and some were coming and settling in Harlem. And in Harlem, the nurse hospital was Harlem Hospital, but because of segregation, um, they were not one seen, able to be seen on certain days and two had to pay extra to be picked up by an ambulance, had to be paid, had to pay extra to be seen by certain physicians and nurses. And when they were seen, they were not well cared for. So there, is, there are old newspaper articles that speak to some of the atrocities that the community members at that time went through, including an article um, about a woman who was injected and the needle was broken off into her arm. Um, people who were um, had surgery and the wrong surgery was done and they were left to die. Um, it, it, it was just awful. So when you have that history implanted on a community for generations, and when Dr. Friedman shows up in the 70s and 80s and he's with the community, and finds out that this is why they're not using it. And he's originally from DC. So it's not like he came, he was in the Harlem community and knew the history. By finding this out, he understood that this is a problem. He's got to do something to fix it because it's not right. So what he did was find people in the community who were, um, and you'll understand this, the E.F. Hutton's in the community, the people who talk, uh, the people who listen to the people who talk. So um, the, the, the voices of the community 
the influencers in the community who could say, I'll vouch for this doctor, come to Harlem Hospital and be seen by him. So he had opened up a free clinic on a Saturday morning and would have people come in from the, from the, um, from the community to come into what he called his free clinic in the hospital. And he laughs because he says, yeah, I kind of did this without permission. <laughs> but he did it and he saw that people were coming. And then he worked with those influencers in the community and trained them to be navigators, basically teaching them how to navigate the hospital, teaching them how to navigate access to care and services for those in the community living with cancer. <clears throat> Fast forward, um, he was he's head of he was the head of the uh, Ralph Lauren Cancer Center, was got received funding to start the Harold Freeman Patient Navigation Institute. One of my grad school advisors said, "Hey." Um, there's this new new institute starting up in Harlem. They're looking for someone to develop the health um, health literacy um, and health communication piece. Can you do it? I was like, okay, sure. I didn't think anything of it. I just finished school, and my advisor was the sweetest woman, and put my hat my name in the hat. And Dr. Freeman contacted me. I came in and they said, yeah, can you do this training? And can you just make up something and do a training? And I said, uh, yeah. And I came in. I did a health literacy and health communications training for their earliest cohort of, um, of, of people they brought in from the community and the hospital to, to learn a formal curriculum. And that's when it started. And I stayed with Dr. Freeman, you know, over the years, you know, Dr. Freeman was, he's how old now, probably almost 90 years old. But yeah, through, through working with him and helping to develop the initial curriculum for the free the Harold Freeman Patient Navigation Institute. We've trained thousands of people, thousands of people around the world, far as Alaska, Romania. Uh, people would travel for his training in New York, and we did this training, and it was amazing. And from that training, we started to do it online, um, and people were doing their training, doing taking that training and building it out in their countries. So a good friend of mine. Um, who I know was doing reflexology. She's a lymphedema specialist. I said to her in Jamaica, I said, hey, why don't you do this training in Jamaica? You know, we need patient navigation training and patient navigators in Jamaica. My family's Jamaican, but just disclosure. And she said, okay, I'll do it. She did the online training, loved it, loved it, loved it, and continued to do more cancer care work, um, continues to see patients as a lymphedema specialist and helping you know folks who have swelling uh, you know, post-surgery. And we talked a lot over the years about how to bring this training to Jamaica and areas of the Caribbean. Um, so I wrote with her a more culturally relevant curriculum for patient navigation beginning to end, including the history and um, the different types of communication, um, uh, health literacy, all kinds of pieces that go with it. Long story short, we launched it three weeks before the pandemic. <laughs> I, was, I was in Jamaica um, that February before the pandemic really hit and we launched our first cohort. We were so excited. It was fantastic. And then life happened. So now we're redirecting and looking to do things um, online. Um, we have interest in Mexico. We have interest in Guyana. We have interest in Barbados. Um, and perhaps other areas as well, I'm trying to think where else, that want patient navigation training. And it's not just for cancer patients, but for any um, chronic health condition where you can help guide people to get treatment and care from onset to resolution. Oh my That's gosh. How I got into navigating health services. We formed a company in Jamaica and we continue to do education and, and, and consulting work in other countries to kind of help them get started. Wow, Christine. And I know you, look at this. And I knew you did all these amazing things. It's yeah. just crazy. <laughs> it's, just, it's just great work. Um, it's, it touches lives and it helps communities. So I, I we've enjoyed doing it. And um, Patrice is amazing. I'm just really glad that we've been able to partner and get this done. Oh, it's wonderful. Now you say that, you know, your family's from Jamaica. Now, were you, where were you born? I was born in New York. I'm okay. born, raised in New York. Um, but my parents, yeah, they came here in 1969, 1970, came here, got married and 
they had me and my brother and grew up in Queens. And um, yeah, yeah. But I spent my summers in Jamaica as much as possible. My mother made sure that we would go back to Jamaica, um, spend time with, you know, our grandparents, cousins, aunts and uncles. So whenever I go, it's home because that's what I know from from when I was a baby up until now and my children, I've taken them to Jamaica and because of the last few years, they haven't gone back. So I need to get them back to Jamaica, but that's, that's home. Those are our roots. That's familiarity. I get off the plane and it just, and the sunlight just bathes you and you just feel so embraced with the culture and the energy of the Island. And I just, I just absolutely love it. I'm grateful. So, yeah. That's 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 that connection that there's that connection, right? It's interesting. We whenever we go on what we call vacation, wherever it is, it's like wherever that is, and it could be Florida, right? People who live and work in Florida every day, that's not a vacation for them. Jersey Shore, people go live. I live at the Jersey Shore, it's not a vacation every day. But Mm -hmm. if I lived in New York like I used to and would come down the Jersey Shore in the summer, it was like I was on vacation. Now I live down the Jersey Shore and I don't feel like going on vacation. (laughs) <laughs> but but it's that but it is that connection. I love what you said. Like the sun bathes you. That's just such a beautiful metaphor of how you you know I can feel it when you said it. I can uh-huh. feel it. So that that's incredible. But you know, so now we have that in common. I was I grew up in New York, also Brooklyn. So um, you know, I I definitely now I know why we get each other. So that's really that's we're that's neighbors. Good. That's how it is. We're neighbors. <laughs> <laughs> you got how long did you live there for? Oh my gosh. I, I lived, I grew up in, I grew up in New York. So goodness, I left New York and moved to New Jersey in my twenties. So I was lived in New York for over 25 years. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I was, I was, so yeah, I, I was 23 when I left. Um, I went from Brooklyn to Staten Island, but I, I, I don't hear your accent, but people can oh. hear mine when I talk fast. It, my, my, my children know that when they cross the line, the New York accent comes out. And sometimes with my staff, I'll, I'll break it out every now and then. They're like, uh oh, the New York is here. I'm like, yeah, the New York is here. We're going to have to go down that path if we need to. If if you're not understanding what I'm saying, are we are we clear now? Are we clear? And they're like, okay. I said, okay, we're clear. Thank you. <laughs> See, and that's so funny because you can. I can do it too. The R's they go. Everybody knows. Yeah. I'll tell people to, they'll say, oh, we'll give you 10 minutes to speak. Okay. I'm like, okay, I'll bring out the Brooklyn. If I have to talk that fast, I have to bring out the Brooklyn. Brooklyn. But that's, <laughs> I, have to, I have to bring it out. Um, funny. <laughs> did, you, did you always, I mean, as a kid, I doubt you sat there and thought that I'm going to do all of these things. What did you think you were going to be when you grew up? A physician. I thought I was going to be a physician. I thought it was wired to help people in the hospital. My mother's a retired nurse. So I spent a lot of time in and out of hospital, you know, because she worked there. So I was always around. So it was for her, you know, as a woman who came here from another country, studied nursing, you know, the next step up for her child was, you're not going to be the nurse, you're going to be the doctor. So that's what I thought my path was. Well, I like to sleep at night. So I, yeah. And I know that, you know, my yep. friends were physicians. I was like, yeah, this is something nice. So you just, I was like, no, I like to sleep at night. But what was also really important for me was that I wanted to get to people before they were sick. I wanted to be on the proactive side versus seeing them in the hospital or in my office because they had an ailment, but I wanted to teach people wellness. I wanted to teach people um how to take good care of themselves so that they could minimize health issues. And that was you know, what drew me to, to you know, the health education and public health spaces is the opportunity to educate and guide people to resources before they, they ended up on medication or they ended up having much more serious health issues that could potentially lead to death. You know, we, if we are equipped with information and knowledge, we can make better decisions and then building a community around you that supports that, you know, being able to champion that with people was something that I also enjoy doing too. I think a lot of times we talk a lot about the fact that stress and mental health really does impact our physical health. We say it, but it's a throwaway. Mm -hmm. I don't think we really realize 
how connected we have to be beforehand. You and I were talking about yoga, right? And the importance of that connection of yoga and how that is a practice. And that can be transformative um, mentally. But talk just for a moment, if you don't mind, about that connection. And I, I love that you say you wanted to be there preventatively. How do we stop throwing away the importance of our mental health you, in your in, in your words to, and how it relates to our physical health? How do we how do we make more time for it? Do you ha- I know you don't have a magic wand right now and none of us do, but how do we put it at the top of our list? Because so many of us don't. how do you like to feel? And we've normalized that ill feeling, that less than feeling. And I always try to get people to go back to that feeling they had when they go to that, that, that special place. You know, you always say, close your eyes and go to that special place that makes you happy. Go to your happy place, you know, and think about that happy place. Do you, do you know that that's not some anomaly in your life, that that is something that you can create when you want to have it. And if you want to have it more frequently than when you close your eyes and go to that happy place, we can work with you to make that happen with you. We can support you, hold you accountable for that, champion you. I, I guess that's that's why I like coaching. It's, it's, it's giving people that liberty to do that in environments when they're not given that liberty. I had a call with someone two days ago <clears throat> and it was more of an informational chat with someone I was looking to build a colleague relationship with. So about 15 to 20 minutes in, apparently the Dr. Thorpat came on and I started just, I asked the questions and, and she just opened up and she said, thank you for giving me that space. Um, we need to give each other that space, but we need to give ourselves that space. And I, I think that we need to find commonality with people who we trust to help us have those de-stressed moments, those release moments, those moments where we can find ourselves in a happy place. Um, it's okay to do things like laugh and, and, and enjoy a moment we're so caught up in being serious and getting to the next task and, and looking a certain way that you can release that. You can take a few moments to release that because it allows you to just be for a moment, just be. Mm. And it's not easy, but, but for me, um, I love to laugh um, at home with my family. We'll joke around and laugh and, and, you know, I think, I think of all of us in our household, my daughter's the funniest. She's, she's just a character. Um, so she'll come and she'll say stuff. We'll just giggle. It's like, this little kid, she's 12, but she'll say quirky, funny things. And she's half serious and half joking, but you just know that she's just evoking laughter into the family. Um, but, but, you know, you've you got to create those light moments in, 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 in your day because there's so much heaviness going on if you don't step away from it it will break you and do we really want to be broken it's it's okay to feel good give yourself permission to feel good because when you feel good more more positivity comes out of you for that and you'll like yourself better you know you want to be able to look in the mirror and like what you see and what you feel but you've got to give yourself permission to move through these moments and like your sign says you got to create your own happiness. We got to create it. If you're waiting for somebody else to do it, if you're waiting for someone else to do it, then um, it's not going to happen. No, absolutely not. I just want to mention the book, Living Beyond the Facade Inside the Health and Wealth Practices of Americans of African Descent. Mm -hmm. When When did you write that? Oh gosh, the book. Yeah. So, um, Wow, that was fun. I took a year to collect the data. I, um, 2018, 2019, into, into uh, 2020, um, more so 2018, 2019. It took a year and I interviewed 100 people. And I did that book because you know we were transitioning out of the um, Obama administration and we were in the Trump-Clinton 
uh, um, political presidential stuff that was happening which is insane that's all i can call it, it was just good word, good word. Good it, was, word. it was just just a lot and the rhetoric that was around that just spurred this this desire to create our own narrative um, and to understand how we are living from our lens and put stories together and experiences together to teach us how to manage how we're managing our health and our wealth um, and these weren't celebrities I interviewed. These were people from um, all walks of life around um, this country from various cities who met certain criteria, of course, to be in the study, but talked about their journey to take care of their health, um, what they learned growing up, what they practiced day to day, um, and what they saw for their future and how were they paying this forward. I also asked them questions about, you know, wealth. What did they learn about money growing up? How are they now with money as it relates to um, their current lifestyle? And how are they paying that forward as well? Um, and I interviewed whether it's single folks, married folks, divorced folks, who've got some really interesting stories and experiences. But what was really important, and there, there were key, key pillars that came out of the conversation. Um, each person was very conscious about what they did with regard to their health and their wealth. They were conscious. They, they were thinking about it. They were aware that if they didn't take care of their health, they were going to go down the same path as their parent and have a heart attack because it ran in their family. If they didn't take care of their health, they were going to be, um, there was going to be an amputation because they've seen that with many members in their family because they had diabetes. Um, if they didn't take care of their wealth, they were afraid that they would go back to the life that they had as a kid and they did not want to live hand to mouth, um, a paycheck to paycheck. Some people said, I will never go back to that. I watch everything, I watch every dollar and I wanna make sure I teach my children that and pay it forward or someone single and is doing the same thing and, and saying, I'm gonna pay it forward to my nieces and nephews. Bottom line is they were very conscious and they were mindful about their decisions and they were very disciplined. And, and, and in a day and age where we're all, you know, drawn and pulled into so many different places, what's important to you? What are those really big things that are important to you? And health and wealth were important to these folks. So they were disciplined in their execution of their practices. So um, those are key lessons I felt that were really important to be conscious, to be mindful about what you do you know, to execute your plan and be disciplined about your plan as it relates to your health and wealth, because you will reap that in dividends. And you're also a model for somebody else. So I capture their stories. Um, the next thing I want to look at are um, um, some high net worth families and how their family organizations are addressing the dimensions of wellness um, and building a culture so that they can build that legacy of paying their family business forward to the next generation. So that's my next spinoff. It seems like it's, it's coming at me and I'm <laughs> trying to pace myself, but yeah, it's, it's the newest idea that keeps surfacing over and over again. So you say you like to sleep at night, but I'm not sure how many hours you actually do when I think I about do. all the things. I do that's sleep. I do I love sleep. It. I do. I just kind of, you know, compartmentalize what I need to do and I get it done. I have my, my YW board work. Um, I'm a member of the junior league of Montclair, Newark. I'm a member, a board member of women of concerned professionals. And we do more of the international work of women throughout the Caribbean and, and African regions. So I tie that into my navigating health services work. So where, whatever I do, I try to find the overlap. You know, yes, so that's try the best. To, to create the overlap in the work, the Junior League and, and the YW have a way of overlapping. Right now, we're doing um, a series on Black women's mental health. So, you know, we'll continue to do more work over the next year. But there are many wonderful things that we do, and they all tie together. And um, I'm just grateful. I'm just grateful to be able to make this kind of impact and, and, and leave a legacy for my children. So that they understand the lessons that, you know, their father and I are trying to put forth, not just for them, but for their children. So when they look back, they'll say, okay, you know, we've learned a lot, you know, from 
Grandma Christine. <laughs> yeah. well, their great grandmother, you know, Dion, and their great great grandmother. So it's, I'm like, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm naming the at least the women lineage in my family, but they should be able to capture these lessons and build from them and not start from zero. Right. Because the people that we've never met really have had, they have never met, really had an impact on our life. We met those, those people before. And so we, you know, we keeping their memory and their lessons alive. Mm -hmm. We is so, so we could do a whole podcast on the importance of that and how to do that the right way. It is just an incredible, it is so important to do, but you, you mentioned this and it is always my last question, but it is, what is the footprint you're creating right now that you want to leave behind? And, and as you were saying that, I was thinking of podcasts and I love these podcasts and this phrase, being a good ancestor, mm-hmm. to be a good ancestor, one that will um, enable not just my children, but my grandchildren and my great grandchildren to say, I'm inspired and I can take this baton forward and make an impact, not only in our family where it, where it initially counts most, but also in the world around me so that the next future generations will know that um, kind of like what you've named the show can also be change makers because we all have the ability to create change in the world around us. So to be a really good ancestor. I think you just named the, the, the episode. I think, I think, you know, because I always <laughs> give the episode a title. I think you just gave the, the episode a title that be a good ancestor. That's a, I have not heard that one before, Christine. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's, there's a whole podcast on it. And there have been conversations swirling around what does it mean to be a good ancestor? And you, you, I want to pour into my children with my husband and be able to give them values Um, and not just monetary values, but, you know, spiritual, you know, emotional, intellectual value, you know, values that enable them to be kind members of a community. Right. I, I love that. I love that. I love it. And I think we actually met, I said it was Helen. I think it was Heather. Heather. Wasn't it Heather Mistretta? It was That's Heather. Right. It was Heather, Heather not Helen. Was, I apologize. Yeah. It's, 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 yeah it was, it's, it's Heather initially got us together. And then I saw that you had interviewed Helen and I absolutely love Helen. Helen's our CEO of the YW. So we, we have, we have overlaps. We do. We're just talking about overlaps. And what an incredible ancestor you are because, you know, you have become, you're you're not there yet. You're not an ancestor. You're making your way to creating this beautiful footprint for the day when your great, 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 great grandchildren (laughs) will know your name. Well, and then they can just continue and know that they're, they're coming from a place where a lot of, um, a lot has been built for them to step on. Absolutely. Where can people get your book before we go? I want to make sure people know where. Amazon. Living Beyond the Facade is on Amazon. So you can get it there. Just look up the name of the book and it'll pop right up. And if people want to follow you, because, you know, for the, I'll have it up on the YouTube channel exactly where they can find you. Mm -hmm. Um, But for those listening via podcast, where can they find you? They can find me on LinkedIn. Um, you can find me on and at LinkedIn at Dr. Christine W. Thorpe on Instagram, uh, Stronger Tomorrow Wellness, as well as Living Beyond the Facade. You can find me there. But those are the key places to find me. I am on Twitter, Dr. C. W. Thorpe. But um, the best place to find me is on LinkedIn at Christine, Dr. Christine W. Thorpe. Awesome. Any any last any last thoughts that you would like to leave us with? Um, I'm hoping that those who are watching, not just my show, but all the other shows, that they get nuggets of wisdom that enable them to do the same legacy building for their families. We all have a responsibility and an opportunity to do that. And and I pull from various resources, just like everyone else, to learn and grow, continue to learn and grow and build um, a better future, one with, with kindness and love and respect for humanity and one where when you look back you can say yes it was a job well done well, that was a great way to end it and christine i hope you'll come back i feel like there's like 10 other topics we could totally talk about if <laughs> that's at minimum there's probably more but sure. uh dr christine thorpe i'm so thrilled we had this conversation thank you thank you so much jody this was amazing i really appreciate it thank you 
You're welcome. You're welcome. I'm going to say what I say at the end of every single podcast. Today is the day. You cannot go back to yesterday and you do not yet own tomorrow. So what steps, small or large, are you going to take today to get yourself closer to your goals? Have a great great week, everyone. And thanks again, Christine. Thank you.